Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning, or whatever time it is when you're listening to this. This is the audio-only version of the message that was first presented on March 22nd in our first ever online-only service at Morrison Hill in the midst of the coronavirus outbreak and trying to help the world shut that down. Um, We had planned for months and months that on this day we would talk about what we're talking about, so it's kind of ironic. Today we're talking about how to make wise choices in the face of suffering. But a real quick review, and then we'll just jump right into that. The last several weeks we've been walking through, wise choices in general are always made within God's moral boundaries. But there's quite a bit of wiggle room there. So we have to study. We have to pray. We have to seek wise counsel. And we have to make the best possible choice that we can under the circumstances. I know that no matter what perspective you are coming from as you listen to this, whether it's complete fear or you've completely taken this one um, perspective or another on this whole situation, or maybe you you think it's ridiculous. I, I don't know where you're coming from on this, but one of the things that I would love for all believers who hear this message to do is to at least respect that the people around you are doing their best to make wise choices in the biblical sense under the circumstances, based on the information that they have, based on the things that they have believed, based on the facts and also the interpretations of those facts that they've been given. They're doing their best to protect themselves and their families and also to protect other people in the world, take care of of vulnerable people, many of whom they don't even know. And I respect that. And I think that all, all Christians should respect that kind of an attitude whenever we see that. And we certainly should be setting an example in that as well. But another thing that's very clear in times like this is we see the image of God in us. He created us in his image. And that's why all human beings, no matter what religious or political or cultural views, shape the world in their own eyes and hearts. They crave life, health, responsibility, belonging, and significance. And and when I say that, I mean, they're not just cravings trying to stay alive. Of course, that. But also, they they, they have a sense that there is a good life. There's a way to live life that's the right way. They may disagree on what that means, but they they know that there has to be a, a better way to live. And not just being healthy as in not being sick, but we have this idea that there's gotta be such a thing as a healthy relationship, a way to be psychologically or emotionally healthy. And when that's not happening, we know something is wrong deep down in our souls. Uh, Responsibility, belonging, significance, we are relational. It's because we're made in the image of God. And this is also why in this broken world where everyone's image of God is broken and destroyed and shattered and twisted and otherwise messed up, That's why we fear the things we fear. No matter what background you're coming from, what glasses you're looking through to see the world, death, suffering, loss of control, isolation, and humiliation are the things that you fear the most. We all fear those things. This morning we're going to focus especially on how do we make wise choices 
in the face of suffering. First, let's make an observation. This is just a fact. Fear of suffering makes us obsessed with safety. Avoiding unnecessary suffering with safety precautions is obviously a wise choice. If you have seatbelts in your car and you have a child, absolutely, you should put that seatbelt on that child. If you have a car seat for a very small infant, you should do that. If there's something you could eat that would make you healthier, most likely. If there are things you could avoid that you could avoid because they were dangerous to you. That, that's just common sense. Of course we should try to do that. If just staying inside could save lives, why would we not at least try to do that? That all makes sense. But the danger here is when we start leaning into that too hard, we start believing that we have control. Our fear of loss of control or lack of control makes us think that the safety precautions we are taking guarantee that we will be safe. And for believers, a lot of times the temptation is that if we pray hard enough, if we, if we do the right things hard enough, that God is obligated to keep us safe, that we will not suffer. And this simply is not what the Bible says. It's not what is true. It's not what anyone has ever said that's telling the truth. I love that scene in The Princess Bride uh, when the Dread Pirate Roberts is confronting Princess Buttercup for moving on so quickly after she heard that Wesley had died. And she says, you mock my pain. And he says, life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. I don't totally agree with him. I, I do not believe that life is pain. I don't believe that all of life is just pain. That is not what God's word tells us. That's not it, except to pretend that pain is not part of life is an illusion. Control is an illusion. And Jesus always told the truth. In Matthew 10, when he sent his disciples on a short-term mission trip of sorts, and he's also telling them some things that are going to apply later when he sends them out with the Great Commission after his death and burial and resurrection, he warns them that they will face persecution. This is by no means the only time he did this, but in this passage, as he, a lot of what he's telling them is not just, here's what I need you to do or say, but when you suffer, do this. Uh, verse 19 and 20, when you are arrested, Jesus says, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking, it will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Those are such profound words. We use them, and I believe appropriately, when we reassure each other. You should just tell the truth. Speak the truth in love. You should share the gospel. If you're rejected, it's okay. And those of us who don't feel comfortable sharing it, we, we can find comfort in knowing that God will give us the words. His spirit in us will give us the words if we're obedient to share the truth. I believe that's a very appropriate way to understand this passage, but don't miss the context. He's saying... He's not, saying, he's not just saying this about when you share the gospel over coffee in a really wonderful situation with someone who loves you and appreciates you no matter what you do. He's saying when you are arrested, don't worry about what you're going to say. He's telling them you will suffer at some point. In verse 28, he says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. 
as reassuring as that can be, that's also uh, Jesus saying there are going to be people, there are going to be things in this world that threaten to kill us. Don't fear that as much as you fear God himself. Don't worry so much about trying to keep yourself physically safe. Make sure you are spiritually in tune with God and with the people around you first. That's even more important. You can't look at suffering from a biblical perspective and not mention, not explore the story of Job. The Bible Project does a wonderful job of presenting this basic idea. I encourage you to look up any of their videos you want, and especially the one that talks about the wisdom books of the Old Testament. But just really quickly, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job are known as the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. And they all fit together almost like a little trilogy of books. Proverbs kind of presents a matter-of-fact way of looking at the world and the basic idea that you reap what you sow. You make wise choices, good things happen. You make foolish or sinful choices, bad things happen. All of which is true. By and large, that's, that's basically how life actually does work, how God set things up. But it's not 100% of the picture. Ecclesiastes then steps in and Ecclesiastes asks all these philosophical and really big questions that all human beings always ask. So why is there still suffering? Where is God in all this? What's the point? If I'm just going to die, what's the point? Well, everything is meaningless. And it finally makes a conclusion that the one thing that is meaningful, the one thing worth doing in life is to seek God, to obey him. And yet it doesn't really answer any of these questions. And then we get the third book, and it's not even trying to give us little rules to follow or answers to questions. It just tells us a story. I think it's very important to notice that Job is not a cut and dry bunch of answers. All the cut and dry answers in Job are given by his friends, and they're mostly wrong. God says at the end of the book that they're mostly wrong. Instead, again, it's a story. And it's important to notice that this is a story about a guy who is righteous. These things are not, God is not throwing all this at him as punishment. This is not God himself even throwing it at him. But God is allowing these things to someone who is good. It's acknowledging that sometimes good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. And in this story, everyone wants answers. They demand answers or they say they have the answers. They think they have the answers. They're trying, to compl- they're trying to convince someone else that they have the answers and they should believe their answers. But at the end of it, when Job goes to God and, and demands an answer, God's answer is not a cut and dry ans- explanation at all. It's more like stay in your lane. In fact, it actually reminds me of that scene in a, another movie, A Few Good Men, where Tom Cruise's character says, I I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson's character replies, you can't handle the truth. And then goes on this whole diatribe about why we need a military. Which we do, by the way, if you're listening and you're a military person or know and love one, I'm I'm not against that. I'm not, I just, that's not the point I'm trying to make here. I'm thankful for all of you. Thank you for your service. Please know that that's real. But in this story, Colonel Jessup was not a good guy. And God is good. Colonel Jessup wasn't perfect in his perspective, but God is. And when God says, I'm not going to tell you everything because you can't handle it, it's actually compassion. He's actually telling us the truth 
in love. And so our first response when we are suffering, the first wise thing that we can always do is humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's a quote from James 4 in the New Testament, but Job got this right. Humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord means acknowledging what is actually true. It's like the Stockdale principle. Admiral Stockdale faced some of the most horrific conditions anyone's ever had to face in a POW camp. And yet, while many of the other people who were in that same camp died or kind of went crazy, him and the others who teamed up with him did not. And they went on to not only survive, but to thrive. Even after they left that POW camp, they had great lives afterwards. And he said his secret was they faced reality as it was. They didn't pretend that things weren't as bad as they were. They didn't pretend they were better. They also didn't pretend they were worse. They didn't allow themselves to to give up all hope uh, at all. They just faced it head on. And we as believers, we not only need to do this, we not only need to face the actual facts of whatever suffering that we are in, But we also need to know that there is someone who has promised to guide us through it. Someone with so much more perspective and so much more power than we will ever have. This is what David knew when he prayed in Psalm 25. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me, for you are the God who saves me. All day long I put my hope in you. And even better, he understood that there are moments when we are in a wilderness or a lonely spot in our lives, when we are legitimately suffering. A lot of times, those are the times when we are closest to God, when he makes his presence in our lives known. David prays in Psalm 27, verse 8, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. At the end of Job chapter 3, his three friends come to visit him. I'm just going to read this straight out of uh, of this. By the way, I'm using the New Living Translation today, not because it's the only good translation, but it's accurate and clear, and I'm trying to get a lot of scripture in here, so I'm choosing a a version I don't have to keep explaining. If we were going to say that in modern English, it would probably say like this. But I encourage you to reread any of these scriptures. Uh, Look up how we've posted uh, Bible studies with this and other study questions. I hope that you'll go back, reread this in any version that you want and let God speak to you. But here's the last couple verses of Job 3. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Sometimes facing the truth, humbling yourself in the sight of the Lord and being there to comfort each other, even from a social distance, if you will, is to face the facts and just be quiet. Sometimes we need to stop asking questions, at least for a few minutes. Stop offering solutions for a few minutes and just be. But it can't stop there. It can't be the only place. Here's another wise choice we can make in the face of danger, in the face of suffering. Embrace the good that remains. Embrace the good that remains. And there is so much good going on right now in this minute, not only in America, but around the world. Everyone has some sort of shelter, 
I believe. Even homeless people, are, there are people who are reaching out to help them even more. And so many of us that are kind of confined in our houses or not allowed to go to movie theaters or meet together in church buildings, we still have somewhere to go. We have the internet, we have our family, we have friends, we have technology that just didn't even exist till very recently in history that allows us to connect, that allows us to still access the truth and news and people and all these things in ways that just wasn't possible. For the most part, we're still allowed to go out into nature and experience creation and see the beauty around us. There's so many other blessings, so many things that we can be thankful for, and that's part of facing reality as well. It's not all bad, even in the midst of our worst suffering. This is part of what Paul was talking about when he wrote from a jail, talk about isolation. He wrote the book of Philippians from a jail and he wrote this in chapter four. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. It's in these moments of suffering when some of the things that we just like to kind of put on coffee mugs or t-shirts or hang on the wall or post on Pinterest become most important. For example, 1 Peter 2, 17 says, respect everyone, love the family of believers, fear God and respect the king. How could you argue with that? That sounds great. What a wonderful sentiment. Let's, let's make posters and put them up everywhere. And yet when we're suffering, when we don't necessarily agree with every single decision that's being made for us. We still have to respect everyone. When we are stuck with our family or we're, we're, we're stuck with the family of believers in situations we don't really like, that's when it's even more important to love the family of believers and whatever that means, to reach out to meet their needs and to comfort and to encourage them. It's, it's moments when we're upset with how things are going, when we maybe have some questions, maybe God's not doing his job the way we want him to do his job or think that he should. Uh, th those are the moments when we have to fear God. And there are moments when we disagree with the, the government. Or, or and Again, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying I disagree with every single decision being made. I'm saying in times like these, during suffering, when everybody's worried and everybody's scared, these are the moments these things have to happen. This is where we have to say, no, we are Christians. We respect everyone. We love the family of believers. We fear God. We respect our authorities. Third thing that you can do is to embrace the mystery. In the face of suffering, we just need to embrace the idea that God is good, God is powerful, and yet for reasons we cannot understand and will not ever understand until maybe heaven someday, he also allows suffering. That's part of the equation, and he told us it was. He never promised otherwise. 
In moments like these, it's like we're looking through a telescope at a really beautiful starry night sky. A, a telescope is a way to help you focus. It's a way to help you see things you can't see with the naked eye. And in suffering, we learn. In suffering, we have an ability to see clearly, to ask deeper questions, to find truths about God and about life and some answers to the question why here and there that we wouldn't find otherwise. It's like looking through a telescope into the night sky, but there's so much more going on than we can see. Whatever we're focusing on, we're missing everything else. And we've got to humbly understand that, to know that what God gives us is a mystery, not just a series of answers. Again, uh, throughout this sermon, I'm referring to certain scriptures, and I'm skipping a couple verses as I read some of these passages, not because they're not important. Every word of his word is important. However, I'm skipping these just for this sense of time and to keep us focused on these specific ideas. I encourage you to go back and read the entire chapter of Romans 8 in its entirety, word for word, but I'm going to read some selections from that right now. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. This is true. It's always true. A few more verses from the same chapter. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. This is so true. It's so comforting. And even in the midst of suffering, this is still true. And yet notice, he did not even spare his own son from suffering. Jesus' death and burial and resurrection was incredibly hard for the entire Trinity. God experienced suffering himself. He knows what it feels like. He did not even spare himself. Again, it was all out of love. It was out of a bigger perspective. There were things going on at that moment that nobody could have dreamed, even Jesus' closest disciples in the moment. And yet God knew that there was so much more going on and didn't even spare his own son from suffering to get that done. Continue through Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters, this is New Testament, this is Old Testament, this is just true. In Isaiah 8.13, he says, make the, Lord of God, make the Lord of heaven's armies 
holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. Holy means set apart. It means different. It's not just pure and shiny. It's, it's in a totally different category. And our fear of God, our respect for God, has to transcend all the good times and the bad times. Because his love for us transcends those. And his grace and his power transcend those even when we don't get it. But again, he's always honest with us. In Psalm 23, one of the most well-known and most quoted passages in the scripture, David is talking about God is like a shepherd. But he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David was aware God does not necessarily keep us away from the shadow of death. He does not necessarily take away our enemies. He is with us and guiding us through all that. Which leads us to the last really important, really big, wise choice we have to make in the face of suffering that we're talking about today. This is actually more like just a statement, but I'll explain how to do it in a second. Fear of not doing what needs done inspires bravery. The fear of not doing what needs done inspires bravery. Just in the same way that fear of suffering leads us to be obsessed with safety and just kind of building forts around ourselves that really don't protect us as much as we think they will. Fear of not doing what needs done inspires us to get what needs done done no matter what. True bravery, true courage is always when people are able to step up and do what needs done in the face of danger, in the face of possible suffering, possible death. I so appreciate all the health workers in this moment right now who are facing so much danger to their own health, possibly even death in many cases, and yet they're doing what needs done. That's bravery. That's courage. Paul, again, in Philippians, the the book he wrote from prison, but in chapter 2 he writes, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. And these very clear, very, very important instructions are followed by the, the, one of my favorite passages in the whole scripture. But listen how hard and how precise this is. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in his very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, took on the form of a servant, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has exalted him and given him a name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, our example, exactly the one that we should be modeling at this moment in time, more than ever, is the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Someone who's willing to do whatever it takes to get what needs done, done. 
I love how Mr. Rogers famously, uh, several times, especially they even came out of retirement to say it one more time, uh, right after 9-11 happened. But he famously shared how his mother told him to look for the helpers whenever tragedy strikes. He said there's always going to be people out there that are saving lives, people that are helping the people who are in danger, comforting the families. My encouragement to you believers today is this. We are the helpers. That is our job. Thank God for the military. Thank God for the health workers. Thank God for all the other people I've mentioned today and so many others I don't have time to. But we as believers, it's our job to reach out. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We've got to be figuring out what God wants us to do, to comfort, to serve. Maybe all that requires in this weird season we're in right now is to stay home as much as possible. Maybe there's a lot more that God wants you to do. That's between you and God. But we've got to keep his purposes going. We've got to stay devoted to breaking of bread and prayer, the apostles' teaching, and fellowship one way or another, even if that just means through technology. We've got to keep obeying the good commission, great commission. We've got to keep reaching out, leading people, pointing people to God. And we've got to, absolutely got to, keep serving people and being the hands and feet of Jesus in this time. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Some translations say power, love, and a sound mind. It's basically the same thing. We have the ability to make choices. We don't have the guarantee that every choice will pay off with safety for us, but we have the ability to make choices. And if we're brave, we're going to make choices to do what needs done. So what's God telling you to do today? Is he asking you to get closer to him? Is he asking you to make some sort of a decision so that you are sure that your soul is taken care of no matter what? Is he asking you to reach out to someone? Is he asking you to just humbly sit back and just mind your business while other people do stuff? Whatever you hear God telling you to do, you need to be brave enough to do that in the face of suffering. Remember that success requires daily choices starting now. Just one last encouragement to you. When we are alone, when we are isolated, is the best time to practice a, mo a majority of the spiritual disciplines that really transform us and work like spiritual power tools to make us more like Jesus. So I encourage you to use whatever quiet time you have right now, whatever alone time you have right now to pray to practice silence and solitude and Bible study and meditation more than ever. I encourage you to practice serving more than ever, even if it's just your family in your own house. I encourage you to uh, practice fellowship, especially with your family. And use technology or whatever limited fellowship avenues you do still have right now. Worship God. You can still worship. You can still share. You can still give. There's so many other ways we can do this, and this is God's dream, that no matter what else happens at this point in time, whatever happens on the other side of today, it's always his dream that we, he is with us, that he is transforming us, and that we are getting what needs to be done, done. Let's make that happen. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. 
Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.